Welcome to the Lead On Podcast. This is Jeff Orge, the president of Gateway Seminary, talking with you once again about practical issues related to ministry leadership. This is the last podcast in our short summer series based on my book, Seasons of a Leader's Life. Now, in these podcasts, I've not been doing a book review or an overview or anything like that. Instead, I've been lifting out some key principles from the book and talking about them from a leadership perspective and how they apply today to effective leadership in a modern context. Of course, the book Seasons of a Leader's Life is based on a study of Peter's life and the phases or stages are seasons of of his life and of a leader's life. In the Gospels, he was a learner. In Acts, he was the leader. And in 1st and 2nd Peter, he wrote his legacy for the church. So three seasons, learner, leader, legacy lever. And I've been drawing principles out of the book and talking about them this summer. Today, I want to talk about the importance of leaders developing personal holiness. And I want to do this from a perspective of talking about how Jesus interacted with some religious leaders in his time, and quite frankly, how he confronted them negatively and out of that negativity created a more positive model for what it means for leaders today to develop true holiness. Pompous leaders, particularly pompous religious leaders, aren't a modern phenomenon. They've been around a long time. Jesus was once approached with a complaint from the scribes and the Pharisees, poster children for, for pomposity. They were the religious elite of their day. They asked Jesus, why do your disciples break with the tradition of the elders? For they don't wash their hands when they eat. Now, if you want to, you can read these full stories in Matthew 15 and Mark 7. Jesus heard this question, and he knew that it was based on a mutation of Jewish food preparation laws that had morphed from helpful guides reminding people of God's provision into legalistic rituals supposedly producing spiritual purity. Hand-washing, you might say it this way, hand-washing had been turned into a production number, an external badge of spiritual pride, a play-acting method, if you will, of trying to either demonstrate or, worse, achieve holiness. So Jesus answered their question, but he answered it with a question of his own. He asked, and why do you break God's commandments because of your tradition. Then he summarized how the Pharisees and the scribes ignored laws about caring for family members to further their careers in temple service. You know, God expected children to honor their parents, to care for them with gifts to meet their needs as they aged. And the religious leaders of that day claimed that giving to the temple trumped family obligations. When asked for help, family members could say, sorry, The money has already been given to the temple. There's nothing left for you. Jesus labeled people who did this as hypocrites. And he then reminded them of Isaiah's prophecy about fallaciously honoring God with words, even words of worship, without meeting the needs of people in crisis. But all of this, all of this exchange, all of this instruction, all of this confrontation, all of this was only an example of a larger principle that Jesus was trying to communicate. The principle is this. External religious practices don't produce internal spiritual holiness. External 
religious practices don't produce internal spiritual holiness. Now, there's some balance that needs to be brought to that statement because, quite frankly, there's some value in external religious practices. But what Jesus is saying is not that these external religious practices don't have value, like in the case of Jesus with the scribes and the Pharisees, washing hands before eating, giving money to the temple. Both of these practices were helpful in some ways, but they'd been perverted into supposed means of personal holiness, that if you just did the externals right, the heart really didn't matter. Now, to make sure his followers understood this principle, Jesus asked the crowd to come a little closer, and then he told them this, it's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a man, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a man. Now, the disciples were a bit alarmed at Jesus's confrontational attitude toward the religious elite. I mean, this was, after all, the scribes and the Pharisees that he was confronting. So they asked Jesus, do you know that the the Pharisees took offense when they heard this statement? (laughs) Jesus definitely knew that. Jesus knew the impact his comments would have. He fully intended to make the point, bluntly and publicly, to those who were creating religious systems to enrich themselves and facilitate personal promotion. Jesus then counseled his disciples. He said, leave them alone. They're blind guides. And if the blind guide the blind, both will fall into the pit. Now, now Peter saw this whole thing. Uh, it witnessed the entire exchange. And typical of Peter, he, he had more to ask. He had a follow-up request. He, he needed a, a little more detail. So Peter asked Jesus, could you, could you explain all of this to us? He was apparently referring to the parable of the blind guides and these other instructions that people had given. So Jesus said, are you even still lacking in understanding? In other words, Peter, do you still not get it? Do you still not get it? He then laid out the entire issue in plain terms. Jesus told Peter that what he touched and what he ate did not produce personal holiness. The problem isn't what goes into your mouth, but it's what comes out. Because what comes out reveals a person's inner spiritual condition. So the externals reveal the internal. The externals do not cause the internal. Jesus listed some things, for example, that defile a person. Evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, sexual immoralities. He goes on, thefts false testimonies, blasphemies. Jesus said, these things defile a man, but eating with unwashed hands does not defile a man. We're talking today on the podcast about developing holiness. The scribes and the Pharisees believed if they got the externals right, either the heart didn't matter or the heart would be influenced by the externals. Jesus said the opposite is actually true. The externals do matter, but they matter as expressions of what's going on inside you, not as determiners of the same. You see, these religious leaders were counting on external practices to ensure holiness. And in doing this, they were futilely pursuing legalism to produce personal purity. Now, I know today hand-washing is not an issue for us, and 
not even really the kind of giving that Jesus described is much of an issue for today. So what is it today that leaders do that puts too much emphasis on the external as if that's somehow going to determine the internal? Now, let me bring some balance to this. As I talk about these externals that we must be careful in how we use them, I'm not saying these externals have no value because, quite frankly, I could do a podcast on developing personal discipline where I might even encourage you to put some of these things into practice to provide a scaffolding, if you will, around the personal holiness you're cultivating in your life, something to hold it up, give it form, help it have strength. But what Jesus is saying is, These externals may have value to create this kind of external scaffolding, if you will, to give form, structure, shape, and even strength to what's growing inside of it, but they do not produce what needs to be on the inside. And so these externals that we're using today, we have to be careful that we don't make the pursuit of doing them perfectly equal to the establishment of personal holiness. So what do we mean? Well, some religious leaders today, for example, are too caught up in what they wear, uh, dressing up or, or dressing down or dressing in some special way, but whatever they're wearing, what they're really saying is, look at me. You know, I find it very interesting. We have a photograph here at the seminary of the Southern Baptist Convention meeting in the early 1960s in San Francisco. And back then, they actually posed for a photograph with all the messengers seated, everyone looking up at the stage, and this panoramic sort of fisheye lens takes a photograph of the entire room all at once. The most striking thing about that photograph from the early 1960s is that every man is wearing a suit and tie, and every woman is wearing a dress, and many of them hats. They all were wearing the dress code of the day, for ministers and ministers' wives and other ministry leaders. You might say, well, I'm so glad we've gotten past that. Well, have we? I don't think so. Today, pastors dress very differently, but I'm still astounded how many ministry leaders all are trying to dress alike. You know the look. Uh, Designer jeans, skinny jeans usually, high-top tennis shoes, shirt untucked, maybe the sleeves cuffed up just a bit, something like that. And if you can grow one, probably a beard. It's kind of funny. One of our teenagers here at the seminary recently said to me, yeah, I was with my dad and we were in an airport. And I said, dad, I can pick out the pastors in this airport. They all look alike. (laughs) Well, that's what I'm talking about. It doesn't matter what we wear. We seem to want to wear something that makes us stand out. And because of wearing a certain thing, we identify ourselves as being a little more committed, a little more holy, a little more representative of the work we do in ministry. Here's another one. Some ministry leaders won't associate with certain behaviors like, I don't smoke, or I don't drink, or I I don't make questionable lifestyle choices, and even beyond that, I don't get around any people who do. I remember a number of years ago when I first went to work for Baseball Chapel uh, that in my training, actually before my training, in my interviewing and selection process, one of the questions was, as a spiritual leader, as a ministry leader, will you have difficulty being around men who are drinking, 
uh, looking at pornography or otherwise engaged in objectionable behavior or behavior you might find objectionable. The reason I was asked that question was because if I had a holier-than-thou attitude about those kind of behaviors, I was never going to be received and welcomed into a baseball clubhouse, and I was therefore never going to have the opportunity to really represent the gospel in that context. Now, let me add quickly that I do think there are some objectionable behaviors that I don't want to personally uh, be part of, but that does not extend to me being judgmental about others who are engaged in them to the point that I won't even associate with those people. I was with a religious leader once in a restaurant, and there was some uh, sparkling water bottles on the table, and someone came by and asked if they could take our photograph, and he said, yeah, just a second. And he took the sparkling water bottles off the table and set them down on the floor, and then he said, go ahead, and we had our picture taken. I thought, that was kind of a weird thing to do. Then as he put the bottles back up on the table, he said, those looked a little bit too much like wine bottles to be in a photograph with me. And I thought, huh, okay. So now we're concerned about being photographed with a bottle that might look like something that just might be something we might not want to be associated with. I thought that was going just a bit too far. Some leaders, for example, create certain rules of behavior for their families, particularly in relationship to church activities, like our children must always attend church. Our children must participate in every church activity. Uh, Our children must model their commitments in parallel to the parents' commitments and do the very same things we do at the very same level we do them. And by doing this, we demonstrate some kind of personal holiness and commitment and uh, level of stridency in our faith to our community and to our church. You know, one of the most, I think, important parenting decisions we made as uh, parents of teenagers was to allow our children to choose their church activities just like their friends did. So if our kids came home and said, I've got a big math test tomorrow, I've got to study tonight, we let that happen instead of going to youth group. There were just things that we realized that really weren't the full demonstration of our children's commitment to Jesus or the church, that it was so easy to say You've got to do these things because those are the things that prove, validate, establish your true holiness, your true commitment, your true sanctification. Well, that's just simply not so. Here's another one. Some leaders think that if they have certain degrees or or certain credentials or even they went to certain schools, that they'll have a higher level of recognition and reputation and perception of spiritual maturity. And then... And this is another big one in our world today. Leaders want to follow certain theological systems or advocate certain doctrinal positions or follow certain mentors to prove their devotion, their commitment, their their level of holiness and purity, if you will. What I'm saying is this. Today, we're not too caught up in hand-washing or giving offerings to the temple we should have given to our family. I get that. But Jesus is saying you got to be careful here. You cannot let externals define internal commitment. You cannot let externals define personal holiness. You cannot let externals be the measure of your real purity. No, Jesus said, the externals reveal what's in your heart, not establish what's in your heart. As I've already said a couple of times on the podcast today, that doesn't mean externals don't have some value. 
Uh, it's valuable to set out a pattern of church participation for your family. It's valuable to say there's certain behaviors that I don't want to personally involve myself in as a believer. It's valuable to say uh, there's a certain uh, that I've been to certain schools or I've achieved certain cert- certifications or uh, I- I've read certain books. That there's value in these externals. But what we want to be careful about is not allowing these externals to define internal commitment, are not trusting these externals to validate our internal devotion, internal holiness, our internal sanctification. Now, again, some of the decisions you make about some of these things can be reasonable and and can even be helpful. I'll give you one for me. A number of years ago, I came under the influence of a verse of Scripture that said, in the translation I was using at the time, I will set no unclean thing before my eyes. And as a young man, that verse became very important to me, and I I worked with my mentors to talk about what that might mean for me. And I made a decision when I was a, a high school student going into college that I've maintained now for all these years, and that is I have never seen an unedited R-rated movie. Now, I guess the one exception for that would be The Passion of the Christ a number of years ago. I think it may have been rated R as well. And yes, I've seen some movies that were originally rated R that have been edited and shown on television. I've seen a few of those. But I've never been to a theater to see an R-rated movie. I've never downloaded one on Netflix or anything like that. Why? Because I wanted my internal holiness to have an external expression that was measurable for me, that I could remind myself, I don't want to set unclean things before my eyes. I don't want to be titillated by what I see by entertainment in the area of sexuality particularly. I just don't want to see that. Now, making this commitment did not make me more holy, more devoted, more committed. And I want to underscore this. It did not make me better than any believer who has a different standard. But what it did do was gave me an external expression of an internal desire that I was really striving for, that I was personally motivated to fulfill, that I really wanted to mark my life, and that is a measure of personal holiness that really was distinct to my commitment to Jesus Christ. And as a result of that, I made this external commitment. So when I say that some of these externals can be reasonable and they can be helpful, I hope this is an example of how this has worked out in my life and how something like that might work out in yours. The problem is not, uh, or the solution, I should say, is not avoiding all of these external things that we want to add to our lives or avoid in our lives or set up as standards or rules or guides in our lives. Again, the scaffolding itself around our lives is not the problem. The problem is when leaders mistakenly substitute any of these externals as the true measure, the true producer of personal devotion. When a leader communicates that his or her practices create rather than reveal personal holiness, legalism will always result. Legalism is when you begin to advocate for these externals as the measures of personal holiness 
by which you will hold others accountable and by which you will teach others to come up to your supposedly high standards. For example, I have never once taught that it was a universal principle of all believers that everyone should avoid all R-rated movies. I've never taught that. I I would never say that. I, I, I don't necessarily believe that. But for me, it was a good external that produced a means by which I could measure some of the internal growth I've been trying to facilitate now for more than 40 years. So I don't put that on anyone else. That would be legalism. I just keep it for myself as a scaffolding, if you will, that I've erected around this desire that I have for personal holiness. Now, what is it that causes leaders to struggle at this point? Well, leaders often struggle with these issues because they have become more concerned about their reputation than about genuinely being pure before God. You know, external practices can maintain a facade of devotion. You can show up for prayer meeting. You can go to church. You can carry your Bible everywhere you go and lay it on the table in Starbucks and look really spiritual with it sitting there. You can maintain external practices of devotion, and they can be a facade. They can become a veneer, masking the empty reality that the absence of spiritual integrity denies the activity's real meaning. So going through the motions becomes more important than genuinely knowing and serving God. The followers may be fooled for a while, but eventually this kind of house of cards will come tumbling down. Now, when Jesus confronted the scribes and the Pharisees, he rejected this duplicity outright. He was always more concerned with a person's heart, with their inner self, He was far more concerned with what comes out of a person than what goes into a person. He was always more interested in the heart, why a person did something, the inner motive, the inner drive. He was always more interested in that than in what a person did. Healthy leaders, healthy leaders understand this important principle and focus more on purifying their motives, clarifying what drives their actions, and doing things for the right reasons than they do, creating these externals that other people see as the measure of their holiness. Leaders, healthy leaders, refuse to do anything just to look good in front of others. They reject that kind of superficiality and strive for genuine inner change. Now, how then practically can you facilitate this focused priority on developing who you are in your inner person, your personal devotion, your spiritual holiness, your sanctification? Well, Jesus not only rebuked hypocritical displays, but he outlined some ways to purify our motives and to work on ourselves on the inside. For example, he advocated private prayer. He said, when you pray, go into your private room, shut your door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. So one way to purify yourself and your motives and your actions is to practice things like prayer, 
more in private than you do in public. And that you don't spend a lot of time talking about your private prayer time. You know, I was in my quiet time the other day and I prayed for 30 minutes and didn't even realize a minute had gone by. It blew by so fast. Well, nobody needs to know that. And if you have a need to tell that, that may say something in and of itself about the condition of your heart. So Jesus said, go into a private room, shut the door and pray. Just you and me. Nobody else needs to know about that. No one else needs to know about what we talked about. No one else needs to know how long it lasted. No one needs to know about that. You just take care of it with me. That's one way, Jesus said, that you can learn to focus on developing your inner commitments apart from these public externals. Now, another way is giving secretly. Most of the giving that I do, I give in a way that does have tax benefit to me. I give to the seminary. I give to my church. Uh, I give to missions causes that mean a lot to me. And in every one of those contexts, I get a end of year statement and I uh, use that to offset uh, some of uh, my tax liability. And I'm glad to do that. You should too. But for a number of years, Ann and I have given away some money secretly. We just give it away. We don't tell anybody we're doing it. We don't keep a record and file it on our taxes. We don't do anything public about this giving. It's what Jesus said about giving alms and doing so secretly, privately, not letting the right hand know what the left hand is doing, that kind of giving. Now, again, it's just a portion of our giving, but by doing this, we're reminded that the public nature of our giving, that external that people can see, yes, it does accomplish ministry good, and yes, it does represent and typify and is an example of the devotion of our hearts, but the secret giving helps shape that devotion, helps purify our motives, and helps us to be the kind of Christians we we really deep down want to be. Again, nothing wrong with the external giving, the visible giving, the known giving. But this other giving is that secret part, Jesus said, that helps purify hearts. So private prayer, uh, private giving. Then let me give you another one. Serving one-on-one or serving in quiet ways. You know, as a leader, you do most of what you do in public. You speak to thousands, you teach classes of hundreds, you mentor dozens. Maybe you write a blog or maybe you uh, write, write lessons or maybe you develop curriculum. All kinds of things that you're doing that may have some kind of audience out there. Not one thing wrong with that. God gives us leadership responsibility, expands our platform, gives us greater influence. You should make every effort to fulfill those opportunities. But also, make sure you're doing some things no one else knows about. Just serving quietly. Taking your rotation in the nursery. Going out as a part of a team that distributes food baskets at Thanksgiving. As I like to say sometimes, going somewhere where I don't wear my name tag. Nobody knows who I am. And I can just serve quietly to remind myself 
that the reason I serve is because it's an act of devotion, not an opportunity to gain followers. So today, we've talked about developing holiness, and we've specifically talked about the challenge that Jesus outlines of not trusting in externals to prove internal devotion. He talked about hand-washing and giving money away to the temple instead of to family. I've talked about a number of other ways we do that today where we create these externals to try to define devotion. Jesus said, all that stuff, it can sometimes be helpful, but it really doesn't change the heart. You got to work on that a different way. Jesus said, when you're changing the heart, when you're growing in purity, when you're developing holiness, when you are learning sanctification, when those things are really happening, the externals will emerge. And they may be even helpful to continue to facilitate your internal growth. But don't ever make the mistake of substituting one for the other. You have a significant responsibility as a leader to keep the focus on developing your personal holiness. Take the challenge today as you lead on.